morning's message is entitled Advanced Discipleship, Abiding in Christ's Love. And I wonder if there's anyone here who would like to wither and die in the Christian walk. Anybody? No? Okay, well how about, is anyone here who would like their joy to be full? Okay, we've got a bit more response there. So that's one of Christ's purposes for his disciples that we see in this passage. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, sorry, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In John chapters 13 to 17, the Apostle John is giving us an insider's account of the last few hours of a three and a half year training program. And we could look at that training in three levels sort of through the book of John, the level one would be the sonship. John 1.12, as many as believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And we could also look at it through John in terms of the I am statements that relate to level one training. That would be uh, John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, he's the door of the sheep. John 11, he's the resurrection and the life John 14, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So that level one training is about new life and getting the old grave clothes off. It's about unbinding people like Lazarus, dealing with habitual sin, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. It's about transforming our thinking. So that could be that considered the stage one. But moving on from sonship, we get to level two training. Level two was more about servanthood and discipleship. And the I am statements that relate to this one are John 6, Jesus is the bread of life. So once we're saved, we don't just want to stop there, we want to go on and we need to feed on Jesus, feed on that bread. He's the bread of life. <clears throat> John 10, we've got the good shepherd. He looks after his sheep, of which we are sheep. And then we've got this passage here, John 15, abiding in the vine and beginning to produce fruit. And that comes with pruning seasons, not to deal with sin so much, but more to deal with self. And from John 20, 31, it talks about that life in his name. And then there's a level three as well, which is really all of the above. Uh, and don't expect it to be a straight line progression. Uh, it's kind of like snakes and ladders for all of us. Uh, sometimes we're making nice good progress and then we hit a snake and we, we drop down a bit and we have to work on some of those other levels and get stronger in those as we slowly progress. So it's a, an upward progression. So level three is all of the above. Uh, that's the sonship and the discipleship with the servanthood, but also the love to the point of sacrifice. It's that consistent fruit bearing. It's knowing God not just at a sonship level, not just at a servant level, but also at a friendship level. So in the passages that we're going to look at today, Christ is preparing his followers to operate in his absence at the second level and also at the third level. They're going to be entrusted with great responsibility to start the church in a number of days' time, and they're going to know, need to know these skills to step up to those higher levels. And if you're a seasoned follower of Jesus Christ, if you're consistently bearing fruit, if you're used to a bit of pruning and you're not afraid of it anymore, these passages will be a challenge to you. <coughs> Excuse me, hope, hope my voice lasts this morning. <clears throat> so the main idea is that Christ calls us to live in union with him, settled in his love and loving others as he loved us. So in our Bible study we looked at some of the commands. Let's just go over those. What are the commands in John 15, 1-7? And uh, what's Jesus Christ conveying to his disciples? And why should we obey those commands? first command, abide in me and I in you. 
which we find in verse 4. Maybe if I just read <coughs> down to uh, John chapter 15, 1 to 8, before we dig into it. <coughs> I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. <coughs> So there's a number of times where that word abide keeps coming up. Maybe in your translations it's a bit different. But uh, he's using this vine metaphor to explain what he means in more depth. And he describes that vine. Uh, he describes the vine dresser, the, the person that's pruning the vines and looking after them. And he also describes the branches. And those branches are lifeless unless they're connected to the rest of the vine. They're absolutely dependent on the vine. So the, the vine and the branches, to me, is a very similar picture given by Paul of Christ as the head of the church uh, and us, his body, Ephesians 5.23. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. And Ephesians 4.15-16 Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, whom, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we've got this command to abide in him and then he uses the vine illustration to explain it. If we go to verse 1 he says, I am the true vine. <clears throat> and in the Gospel of John there are five absolute I am statements. For example, John 8.58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And then the Jews picked up stones to stone him because they knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. Uh, they wanted to stone him because for blasphemy. But the true vine here is not one of those absolute statements. It's the last of seven metaphorical I am statements or picture statements, they would say in Vanuatu. So we've had the bread of life in chapter 6, the light of the world in chapter 8, the door of the sheep and the good shepherd in chapter 10, the resurrection and the life in chapter 11, the way, the truth and the life in chapter 14, and now uh, we're in 15, the divine. <clears throat> so the true vine, why, why true? Well, God often used a vineyard and vine metaphors to communicate clearly, clearly with agricultural people that he was talking to. We have since become urbanised and most of us have never really looked after a, a vine. Um, Rosemary and I had a vine in our backyard and I don't think I ever pruned it. I'm not sure if Rosemary did. Um, it did actually bore grapes, bear grapes on its own, but we never got to eat them. Uh, the wasps or something, thank you. Wasps got them first. So this is very common for them. They're very familiar with vines. And in the Old Testament, Israel is described as a vine. In Hosea 10, Psalm 80, verse 8, and then also as a degenerate wild vine. In Jeremiah 2 verse 21. And Israel bore wild grapes of injustice, wild grapes of oppression, bloodshed, and idolatry. 
So Christ is distinguishing himself, or he's contrasting himself with Israel and saying, I am the true vine. Uh, I'm not like the disappointing vine, but I'm the fulfillment of all that the vine should be. <coughs> and as Jewish audience of the disciples, they would have understood what he meant uh, by using these vine illustrations. Jesus also told a parable in Matthew 21, 33 to 40, and I'd just like to read that one. Not so much because it fits perfectly with uh, our passage, but it fits perfectly with the timing of what's going on here. Matthew 21, 33 to 40. Jesus said here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a winepress in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the seasons for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So this is a parable really speaking about the nation of Israel and how they had beaten up and killed the prophets over the years. And Jesus is predicting really that finally God, well, the 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 owner of the vineyard will send the son being Jesus Christ and that they'll kill the son and that the vineyard will be given to others uh, being the Gentiles, that's us, for at least a few thousand years. So at the time Jesus was teaching his disciples uh, in this upper room discourse that he is the true vine it's the, the, the Jews are perched on the precipice of actually killing the son. It's going to happen uh, in a few hours. This is the night before they're going to fulfill this, paragraph, uh, this parable. So abide means to remain in the same place over a period of time. It means to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. And it's sometimes translated continue, dwell, endure, be present, Uh, Your translation might say remain and also stand. So disciples are to stay in a relationship of fellowship and union with Jesus Christ, not to come out of that, to to remain in it. Jesus said, in me and I in you. So that that union. The 11 disciples will... uh, would have forces brought against them very soon to dislodge them. So he's preparing them for that persecution, and next week we'll be talking more about that. So we need to stay in fellowship and communion with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit, even when we're going through very difficult and trying times. So just from the chapter of John 15, we can... Learn what abiding in Christ involves. Uh, involves abiding in the Word of God, which is why Greg chose Psalm 119 this morning as our reading. Uh, and we see that in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So when his words abiding in us, it's kind of another way of saying we're abiding in him. It's not, it's not only that, but that's part of it. John 8.31 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So we see it's very difficult to separate the living word from the written word, the living word being Jesus Christ from the written written word being uh, his his word, the Bible, uh, as played out in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So other ways of abiding in Christ, it involves answered prayer. As we just read in verse 7, we can ask whatever we wish uh, if we're abiding in him. And also 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. Haven't quite worked out how to do that literally and in practice yet, but the concept is that we are connected through prayer to Jesus constantly. Another way is through the washing of the word, which uh, we scratched our head a little bit why that verse 3 is in there. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And maybe it's because we need that, that washing of the word, we need the confession, the forsaking of sin, so that nothing hinders our communion with him and abiding in him. <clears throat> abiding in him also involves love and obedience. John 15 Verses 9 to 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, yeah, another one of these concepts, love, obedience, and and believing are always all very closely entwined as well. And then also... Verses 12 to 17 and 15 talk about fellowship, how we relate to one another. And so abiding in the vine uh, also means staying connected to the other branches through Jesus Christ. Uh, So, yeah, if we're abiding in the vine, we'll actually also be fairly close to one another, whoever the branches are that uh, he's put close to us at the time. So we've looked at the command to abide Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. Hopefully we've got a bit of an understanding of what he means by that. Um, But now we'll try and look at why we would want to abide in him. Verse uh, 4 in chapter 15. As the branch cannot be a fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So the cost of disobeying the command to abide in him is unfruitfulness. We cannot be a fruit unless we're connected with him. So it takes a living organism to produce fruit. Unlike man-made results, fruit has the ability to reproduce uh, in terms of it's not seedless grapes. So if we are not abiding in him, there'll be no fruit, there'll be no reproduction of fruit, and... Yeah, it's just a, a sort of a very unproductive life. And so, yeah, also the fruit is not really for the branch to eat. Uh, the fruit, fruit is for God's glory. So and if we're not abiding, abiding in him, no fruit. Verse 5, I would summarize as ineffectiveness. I am the branch, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, at least God gives us the breath that's in our lungs, we literally can do nothing. Unless he holds our molecules together and our atoms together, yeah, we'll just blow apart. So in that sense, we can do nothing. But unless we abide in the vine, we can do nothing of any spiritual value, any spiritual consequence. Yes, we can... um, maybe do practical things, we can have a lot of activity and running around, religious uh, rituals and things like that, and that might have the appearance of lots of leaves, but there may not be any fruit to be seen. It's just a whole lot of foliage and leaves, branches. So if we're going to actually produce something of spiritual value, we need to abide in 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 the vine. And again, Israel really is an example of this. They they were going through the religious rituals, they had their temple and so on, but they were really only producing wild grapes, not genuine spiritual fruit. Third one <coughs> is separation. Third cost of disobeying the command is separation. And we discussed this in our Bible study quite a bit. Verses 2 and verses 6 talks about uh, those branches being taken away that aren't bearing fruit. And 
and verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So we get thrown away like a branch, and vine dressers do this to prevent the spread of disease, whether it's fungal, bacterial, or insect. They'll they'll do their pruning, and they well these days they might mulch them in, but they won't just leave it all just there to, to rot and to grow fungus over a long period of time. They'll deal with it and clean it up. Fifteen verse six uh, would suggest if we don't abide in the vine, there's lifelessness. Uh, we wither. They don't. Unconnected branches don't last long, very, uh, very long at all. Uh, and if you compare this to Christians, <coughs> I think the most miserable uh, and unhappy Christians are the ones that aren't connected to Christ. I mean, they might be saved; we might see them in heaven, but they're the ones that aren't abiding in Christ because, yes, they've. Uh, they can't do what the world's doing. They can't go out and party and uh, live for themselves and uh, live for materialism and individualism and all those things. So they can't get any fun out of that. It's kind of empty, shallow fun. But on the other hand, they're not enjoying uh, being connected with Christ. They're not enjoying those spiritual fruits either. So, yeah, I think the most miserable people are effectively backslidden Christians, Christians who aren't connected to the vine. <coughs> And in verse 6, again, we could summarize it as destruction. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And again, we had a good bit of discussion about this. uh, Destruction. Ezekiel 15 verses 1 to 5 pictures the inhabitants of Jerusalem as a useless vine that is good only for burning. And I think care is needed in John 15 here not to press the details too far. So we need to interpret literally and in context. So scriptural context, historical context, cultural context, and in view of the literary form. So the literary form here is it's an allegory or a parable. So as a guideline, we need to keep that verse 6 in the context of the main truth taught. Uh, about being abiding in the vine. So he's speaking to disciples, speaking to his eleven. None of them were going to be thrown into hell. So it's not talking about being thrown into hell. It's using this picture of literal branches being thrown into a fire to teach them about something else. So what this is not saying... uh, is that that Christians can be can lose their salvation by not abiding in, in Christ. We've got other very clear teaching, like John 6.37, that says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In John 10.27-29, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So for a believer they are secure in Christ. Uh, I don't want any believers here reading that and getting rattled and thinking, oh, if I... Stop abiding in Christ, I'm going to be thrown into hell. No, he's not teaching that. So he is teaching one main truth. His disciples need to abide in him in order to bear fruit. But believers may be disciplined with physical, not spiritual death. Uh, We had another number of scriptures in our Bible study, but uh, to add to those, 1 John 5, 16, there is sin that leads to death. Uh, in Acts 5, 1-10, we have the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Believers, as far as we can tell, actually uh, lying to the Holy Spirit, and yes, God took them home. In 1 Peter four seventeen, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
So if anything, John 15 verse 6 describes divine discipline and not eternal destiny. So I hope by now that the Holy Spirit's persuading you that the best thing that you can do is to abide in Christ, to avoid the misery and the pain of failing to bear fruit, of achieving nothing of eternal value, to avoid being cast away and withering, and being disciplined for being useless. So the cost of failing to abide in Christ is far too high. So now let's let's, uh, look to the positive side. Let's look at the benefits of obeying the command to abide in Christ. If anyone does abide in the vine and Christ's words abide in him, he will be cleansed because of the word. John 15.3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So within that concept of uh, abiding. Also, another benefit is bearing much fruit. And that fruit's not necessarily just for us, but uh, it's for God's glory. And it's fruit, not necessarily foliage. Uh, often we are looking for the foliage, the, uh, the, the stuff that's much more visible to the eye. If we were to fly over it with a helicopter or a drone, we'd see all this greenery. It might be hard to see the grapes. Whereas, but we're actually after the fruit. And the most fruitful vines are often the ones in the toughest conditions. Uh, We like areas like really rubbish soils like some of those in the Hawke's Bay or Canterbury where it's going to actually stress the vine so that they fruit more. Uh, It's a survival mechanism. Uh, They'll put their energy into the fruit, into putting seeds there so that if they die, then there'll be another vine that can grow up in a better season. So we're after the fruit. And spiritually, look at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. That fruit that we're looking for is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that fruit glorifies the Father. And that should be our motivation. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes my motivation's not pure. In fact, I don't know if my motivation is ever pure because I'm still sort of a mixture of human and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So this fruit is not for me to look good and for me me to be able to get proud that, uh, hey, maybe there's more more grapes hanging off me than somebody else. Uh, No, it's, it's for his glory. It's not for us to look good, gain respect or prestige even. It's for God's glory. And we've got to realize, hey, we're just a branch. Uh, And without him, we can do nothing. So fruit proves that the branch is Christ's disciple. And we talked a little bit about this too. There's other scriptures that say, well, we can judge a tree by its fruit. I guess just with that, I'd uh, encourage you, don't be too quick to judge another man's servant. Uh, sometimes the fruit's hard to see, and sometimes it, uh, it takes a long time before we realise actually what the fruit is. Uh, there's been cases where people have been dead and in the grave before people realise, ah, um, they've, they've actually left behind a huge amount of reproducing fruit. <clears throat> so another benefit of abiding in Christ is being pruned being pruned by the Father that we might bear more fruit. That's the ouch part. That's the part we don't like if we don't understand it. and We probably don't like it at all, uh, but when we understand it, we still have joy. So you might say, well, I thought you were talking about benefits. But if we can dwell on this one a little bit longer, uh, yes, maybe some of you here might be being pruned at present. And if we can just sort of look at some horticultural slides here, Hamish. Um, Objectives of pruning is things like controlling the size and the form and optimizing the production potential and maintaining a balance between the vegetative growth and the fruiting. Uh, You get too much vegetation and the fruit is not usually very good. Next one. And got a picture here of 
a dormant bud on the top slide there, top part of the slide. That's a dormant bud in a one-year-old cane. And it's just sitting there over winter waiting to burst and it'll give rise to new canes. And the old canes cannot produce grapes, it's only the new canes. Next one. Go backwards, or is that it? Okay, no, that's no, that's right. Ah, uh, go up one. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's up. Yeah, so, so because of this, uh, most vine dressers have to do a lot of pruning so that there's new wood every year, and sometimes it's 80% or more of the old, the two year old canes are taken off so that then they can be replaced with these one year old canes. So that's kind of a bit of the, the theory of it. Again, the, these disciples would have understood a bit about this pruning and the fruit only being on the new wood. So that's what happens with us too. And sometimes God's got to cut off some of that old wood. Maybe some of the stuff that's borne fruit in the past even. Uh, and maybe some some wood that's just produced foliage. Remember when I was a new Christian, one of the things that God had to prune on me was uh, this whole area of empire building and, and trying to build up uh, as many cows and as much land as I could. And he dealt with that. Uh, I failed in business. Uh, not in farming actually, but in other business, and that was very painful. And as a new Christian, I wondered what God was doing. I had wondered what, uh, what sin I had committed. Uh, but over time I've come to realise that's a normal process. Uh, he was removing the old wood. Um, it was not some strange thing. It was actually something that happens to Christians over and over again. It was not punishment. It was just normal pruning. And at the end of that... Uh, I felt like there was not much left by the time he'd finished pruning. Uh, it, had, uh, it had affected my self-esteem, you might say. <laughs> I felt a bit of a failure. Um, so then he had to start, some new shoots started to come out. And uh, I refocused, and uh, one of the scriptures I learnt through that period was, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. I didn't have to worry about building my empire. So wild grapes never feel that pain. They never feel that discipline. And that was not the only time I've been pruned. In fact, I've come to expect it. Uh, expect there's more pruning to come. And unfruitful Christians who are not abiding in the vine often don't understand that. And often they'll despise those that are being pruned. Uh, might give them a hard time uh, as those unfruitful Christians just continue producing foliage. Uh, they might look good, they might look like there's more wood and more, more foliage there, but um, often there's no fruit or there's, there's no fruit in the making. <coughs> so another benefit of abiding in the vine is in verse 7, ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. And that's repeated a number of times in the upper room discourse. He keeps saying to these disciples, you know, ask, ask and it will be given. And he wants them to know that there's resource there. If, he's, if they're connected to him, yes, there'll be sustenance, there'll be sugars, sorry, not so much sugars, but uh, there'll be uh, water coming up from the ground, they'll be able to keep going and be fed from the vine. So he's saying, look, ask, ask and it'll be given. So that's the first command, abide in the vine. And we've looked at what that means and why we would want to. Second command, and we'll speed up a little bit, abide in my love, John 15, verse 9 to 11. <clears throat> As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And uh, again, just want to encourage you meditate on that one for a while. Uh, that's one that uh, hits Jody between the eyes every time.
how much are we loved? We're actually loved as much as the Father loves Jesus Christ. And as his children, yes, he'll uh, discipline us when we're being bad. Uh, As his children, if we're abiding in him and snuggling up to him, then we'll enjoy that love much more. But we can't actually change the amount that he loves us. That is set by his love for Jesus Christ, not not set by our performance day to day or in fact ever. And so my question, I guess, is why would we not want to abide in that degree of love? It's more a matter of realising how much love there is there for us. So we can't make him love us more than he already does but we can enjoy his love more. So how can we love, enjoy that love more? Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, yes, we can... Keep Christ's commandments, we can love God and love people, and then we, as we do that, we experience more and more joy. And then John 15:11 tells us the why. Christ is telling us these things that we might have the fullness of Christ's joy in us. And that's, as I've said, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Even in troubled times that the disciples are going to face even in troubled times that you are going to face. So we've looked at abiding in the true vine, abiding in Christ, we've looked at abiding in love, and the third command is to love one another. <clears throat> John fifteen twelve to 17, uh, the last passage there, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that's that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So that word love comes up a number of times in the the original, that's the agape love. Uh, The Greek's quite sort of a bit more specific than our English word for love. It means love and affection based on deep appreciation and high regard. So we're to deeply appreciate and highly regard one another. In fact, we're to regard them according to Philippians higher than ourselves, esteem them higher than ourselves. John 15, 12, he says, As I have loved you. And we've dealt on with that one a little bit earlier in the upper room discourse as well. So there's a contrast here with John 13, 34 to 35, where their, their love or their uh, servanthood love was in context, context of service for one another, even though this, that betray us. Now Jesus is continuing to up the standard and he's saying this time it's about love in terms of laying down one's life for his friends. Um, it's one thing for us to serve someone, it's uh, another thing entirely to then lay down our life for our friends. <coughs> So we see this uh, progression. We've got the abiding in the vine and bearing fruit, uh, talking about really our relationship with Jesus Christ in verses 1 to 11. And then uh, next week we'll be sort of picking up towards the end of John 15 there about how we relate to the world. In my Bible it says the hatred of the world. So sandwiched in between that abiding in the vine and bearing fruit, our relationship with Christ and our relationship with the world, these verses here 
and John 15, 12 to 17 are really speaking our, of our relationship with one another, our need to love one another and to stick together to survive. And Paul brought that out this morning in the Bible study too. As branches, we need to stick together. We need to work together to be effective and to, uh, to continue to grow this church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. The alternative, uh, if the pressure gets too great, is for us to forget one another and just to focus on ourselves. It's to retreat uh, and just look after so-called number one. So also note the reverse of Galatians 5.22. It talks in Galatians 5 about love, joy, peace. Well, in John 14, we've had the peace, the inner peace in troubled times. In John 15, 1-11, we've had the the joy, that your joy might be full. And now we've got the John 15, 12 to 17, the love. So the love, joy, peace turns into peace, joy, love in, the, in these passages. In John 15, 13, it talks there about laying down his life for his friends. And he's talking there about dying uh, with an implication of voluntary or willing action. So it's an active dying, not a passive dying. Uh, in John ten seventeen to 18, he gives us the example of the shepherd, Jesus Christ, laying down his life for the sheep. Um, so, um, yeah, rather than running when, when the sheep are being attacked, the, the good shepherd will fight the wolf, will fight the bear um, at the risk of his own life. And so the the... Twelve apostles, eleven of them here, they did actually pour their lives out. Well, eleven of the twelve were, were actually martyred. So this lesson for them has a real uh, real literal and practical uh, application in that they would lay down their lives for Jesus Christ. It's kind of ironical that the Apostle John is writing this. He was the only one that wasn't martyred. And by the time he wrote this, uh, all of the others had been martyred. So 1 John 3.16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. <clears throat> and to do that, we do need the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember back in John 13, Peter said, you know, I'll never forsake you, Lord, even if I have to lay down my life for you, uh, you know, I'll never deny you. And so Peter had the best of intentions. What he didn't have was the Holy Spirit and he wasn't connected to Christ enough through that time. So he didn't actually wasn't able to do what he, he wanted to do. For us, we do have the power of the Holy Spirit. We are connected or can be connected to the vine. So we have got uh, yeah, much more chance of success in that regard. And that laying down our lives... Um, for one another and if laying down lives for our friends could be really a triple meaning. We could take it as Jesus Christ laying down his life for us and he certainly is our example. He did literally die in our place. Um, but another way of looking at it could be laying uh, us laying down our lives for Jesus Christ. And yes, there's times at least figuratively, when we deny ourselves, when we put our own agenda aside and we do what Jesus Christ would want us to do, we please him. And sometimes people will, uh, well at the moment they are being martyred for Jesus Christ. Uh, even this week there would have been hundreds or thousands of Christians martyred for Jesus Christ. I saw a uh, thing on Facebook this week by another pastor saying 8.5 out of 10 people being persecuted at the moment are Christians. More on that next week. <clears throat> and the third way of looking at it, so we've got Jesus Christ laying down his life for us, us laying down our lives for Jesus Christ, but another way of looking at that laying down our lives for our friends is laying down our lives for one another. And... Uh, so, yeah, he's probably talking about all three, I suspect. In John 
15 verse 14, we read, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So loving one another was part of being or becoming Christ's friend. So a friend is someone for whom there is affection or personal regard. Uh, The Greek word can also mean a friend at court. So it describes that inner circle or a king, sort of a circle of advisors around a king or an emperor. So he's sort of saying, yeah, if you want to be in that inner circle of my friends who really know what's going on, keep my commands and love one another. So often we see that obedience or carrying out Christ's commands is also related to further um, revelation or further understanding of who God is. And it's interesting here as he's talking about friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you. It's the first mention of friends in John. Um, back in John thirteen sixteen, he referred to his disciples as servants. Here he refers to to them as friends as he's sort of raising the standard of discipleship, laying down their lives for him. And then, uh, as we saw at Easter time, in John 20, he refers to them as brothers. And that could only be achieved after he had paid the price for our sin. So the only other person directly referred to as God's friend is Abraham. Uh, Second Chronicles, Isaiah, James. And in Genesis 18, verse 17, God told Abraham what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham, being God's friend, heard what was going to happen. And note that in Genesis 26, 24, Abraham is also referred to as a servant of the Lord. So just because we're a friend uh, doesn't mean that we, we just sit around the in a circle there uh, and don't serve anymore, it means we're a servant as well as a friend. So, yeah, Abraham's the only one who really is, until now, was called a friend, but Moses might also be considered a friend of God. Exodus 33.11 Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So it doesn't exactly say Moses was his friend, but he spoke to him like a friend. So loving one another uh, also involves going together and bearing fruit. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. So, yeah, the disciples were chosen and appointed to bear fruit that remains. And part of that choosing and uh, appointing was appointing them to go. So where it says chosen there, it's really referring to them being picked, picking out from a specific, for a specific task. So... It's the same word for chosen that we see right back where Jesus spent all night praying for his disciples and then he chose the ones that he was going to appoint for a specific task. And he also appointed them. So he assigned those people a, a particular task and a function and a role. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So God has chosen some fishermen, a tax collector, some zealots here, and chosen them to carry out this commission. He's, he's appointed them to do this, this job. He's chosen them and appointed them that they should go and bear fruit. And the disciples have open lines of communication and supply in order to love one another. He's telling them, yeah, ask, ask the Father in my name that he may give it to you. So how does this apply to us? Well, we are linked to the same commands that Christ gave to his disciples through the Great Commission. 
Matthew 28, 19 to 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the disciples have been commanded to love one another, to go and bear fruit. We've been commanded to love one another as well. So we've looked at our three commands, abide in Christ, uh, abide in his love, and then also to love one another. <clears throat> so in conclusion, as disciples, we too are commanded to abide in Christ no matter what we are going through. Uh, I hope that you can, abend- uh, can enter the abundant, joyful life of abiding in Christ, but with your eyes wide open so that you're not bewildered when our Heavenly Father takes his, his loppers or his secateurs and begins to prune, um, and sometimes to prune us hard. I hope you're persuaded that the benefits of abiding in Christ far outweigh the pain of some pruning, and obeying the command to abide in Christ is much better than disobeying that command, both in this life and in the life to come. And let's love and obey Jesus Christ to the point where we lay down our lives for, for one another. Let's determine to move beyond just being children, uh, even beyond being servants of God, to being friends of Christ. Because Christ calls us to live in union with him, settled in his love, and loving others as he loved us. <clears throat> let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I worship you. You are the true vine and I thank you that you have made us some of your branches. I thank you for commanding us to abide in you. Without you we can do nothing, not even abide in you. So I ask you to empower us by your Holy Spirit to abide in you. Help us to abide in your love, to abide in your word and to love one another as you have loved us. Give us the courage to count all things as loss, even to the extent that we progress to laying down our lives for one another, that we may know Christ, Jesus our Lord, as a friend. In his precious name I pray. Amen.